Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Let's pray together. Dear God in heaven, as we do each week, we ask that you be here among us this morning, and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In a 1962 speech at Rice University, then-President John F. Kennedy talked about his decision to move the American space program from low gear to high gear. You've all heard parts of this speech. He called it one of the most important decisions that he would make as a president. But why, some say, the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why, 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? (laughs) And then he said the words you've all heard a hundred times. We choose to go to the moon this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. It's rousing, right? Almost makes you want to stand up and cheer right here in church all these years later. Makes me want to run through a wall or fight a giant or something. Or, or, you know, fly to the moon. But you know what I can't help feeling when I hear those words? How like President Kennedy I am in theory, but how far short of his vision I actually fall in practice. You see, I want to do the hard things. I want to climb the highest mountain, but mostly I find myself drawn to the easy things. I risk little. I hire someone to clean my house, change the oil of my car, and do my taxes. But you know what? I'm not proud of those things. I'm embarrassed by them. I hate myself for them. I want to do the stuff that Kennedy's talking about, to do the hard things. I want to do something that'll make people stand up and cheer. I remember I once changed a tire on the side of the freeway in the dark and I felt like a superhero for having done it. (laughs) We all want to do the hard things, and so we celebrate those who accomplish them. We celebrate a sports champion every time, but how much more do we celebrate someone who does it with the fewest possible talented teammates? We're all desperate to make our mark, and so we search out a challenge. And don't we get sort of angry when somebody tries to make the challenge we've set for ourselves a little bit easier? 
This is why we don't ask for directions or accept the help of other people. This is why we're always saying things like, no pain, no gain, and claiming that our favorite song is Frank Sinatra's My Way. I mean, good Lord. I faced it all, and I stood tall. I did it my way. Now, in our reading this morning from 2 Kings, Naaman, this army commander, gets similarly angry when it turns out that he can easily have the thing he thought he'd have to work hard to get. You see, Naaman, though a powerful army commander, has a problem. He's got leprosy. But in a stroke of luck, though he's from Damascus, his army has recently captured a slave girl who's working in his house, and she's from Samaria. And she says that she knows a prophet who can heal him of his leprosy. And so Naaman sets off on this long journey from Damascus to Samaria to meet this prophet. And he's outfitted himself, right? Ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, ten sets of garments. He's clearly intending to purchase this healing. You should know, just for the record, that that's 750 pounds of silver. 150 pounds of gold. It's a royal amount of money. And he gets to Samaria and he has this interaction with the king. And then finally Elisha, the prophet, hears of his condition. Here's what happens. Naaman comes with all his horses and chariots and retinue to Elisha's house. And Elisha sends a messenger out to him. Saying, go, wash in the Jordan seven times. Your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. How does Naaman react to this? He's furious. I thought that for me, he would surely come out and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Naaman is annoyed. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? I've come all this way. I've brought all this money. What's the deal? And so he starts to go off in a huff. He's not going to do it. The Bible says that he went away in a rage. But then his servants say, wait a minute. If the prophet had commanded you to do something hard or something expensive, wouldn't you have done it? So why aren't you going to do it when he only asks you to do something easy? So Naaman relents, does the easy thing, and is made clean. You see, Naaman is like Kennedy and like all of us. Kennedy said that we choose to do the hard thing because, quote, it measures the best of our energies and skills. In other words, we like to do the hard thing because it shows everyone how awesome we are. Naaman comes to Samaria intending to overwhelm the prophet with his status and his riches. He's got all this gold and silver and beautiful clothing, and he rolls up to Elisha's house with all his horses and chariots. He wants to be sure 
that Elisha knows how great he is. And that no matter how much this miraculous healing costs, Naaman can afford it. But Elisha doesn't even come out. Naaman has just had an audience with the king, and Elisha sends a servant out to tell Naaman what to do. Go, wash in the Jordan seven times. It's sort of the thank you, come again of cleanings. As little effort by the healer as possible. And Naaman is not happy. He's not happy because he feels he's been embarrassed. Elisha seems to have implied that Naaman's not even really worth getting up off the couch for. He doesn't care about the horses or the chariots or the silver or the gold. Naaman is somehow not worthy of the prophet's full attention. And of course, there's no quicker way to make somebody angry with you than to imply that they're not worthy of your attention. But I think that it's interesting to note that Naaman is angry for two reasons. First, that his great wealth doesn't impress Elisha, making the prophet spring into action like we would if George Clooney showed up at our front door. Anything I can do for you, sir? Anything at all? So he's not happy because his wealth isn't impressive. He's not going to be able to purchase this healing. But he's also angry that the solution he's given is so simple. Right? What does Naaman say? I thought that for me he would surely come out. So I thought that I was impressive. But then he says, and I thought he would stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hands over the spot and cure the leprosy. He wants sort of a complicated, magical ritual. And when he's told to just go to the local river and wash, he thinks that that's something he might as well just done at home, handled, on him, handled by himself. Naaman's mad because the thing he's been given to do, the thing that will heal him, is too simple. He wants a complicated ritual or a recipe with all sorts of steps he has to follow. He's actually angry that he's not getting a long assignment. You see, if he can't purchase his healing with his extravagant wealth, he wants to earn it via faithful obedience, right? Showing Elisha that he's willing to do any arcane ritual that the prophet can come up with. This is pathological. He seemingly can't be happy about the thing that he so desperately wants to be healed from leprosy being freely and easily available to him. But this is a pathology that we all share. We all have this innate desire to do things the hard way so that we can then turn around and say, look what I was able to do. It's like Kennedy said, we climb the highest mountain, we sail across the sea, we go to the moon to prove ourselves, to show everyone what we can accomplish, to make sure that everyone knows that we don't need any help. Thank you very much. To do it our way. <laughs> and this is why we are so suspicious about things that are given away for free must be junk, right? 
What can it possibly be worth if they're giving it away for free? If I don't have to bankrupt myself to get it, maybe I don't want it at all. And Christians, we are the same way. We can't handle being given something for free, and certainly not forgiveness, the love of God, and eternal life. We want desperately to be able to earn these things. We are just like Naaman, incensed that our riches and our obedience are not required for our healing. Now, maybe we're not rich in the same way that Naaman is. Maybe we don't have chariots full of gold and silver, but don't we make the same kind of deals with God? I'll give you all my faithfulness, all my obedience, we say, if you can fix this thing for me. We may not try to buy God off with money, but we're experienced in trying to get him to use the barter system. Now you may be sitting here thinking that you already know all this. You already know that we are saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ alone, and that it's the most ridiculous thing in the world to show up at the prophet's house hoping to purchase your salvation. You know that we are saved for free. But I want to suggest to you this morning that getting our salvation for free is at least as infuriating, if not more so, than having to pay for it. Now, we feel like we owe God something. And so we resolve to balance the scales. If we can't earn our salvation, we think, we can at least strive to retroactively purchase our salvation by becoming people for whom a substitutionary sacrifice, Jesus Christ dying a criminal's death on the cross, is not such a scandal. Jesus is going to die for me, is he, we think. Just wait until he sees what I'm going to do for him. We want to do something hard. We'd prefer to do something hard. We want to earn God's favor. And if we hear the message that we can't earn it up front, if we understand that we can't pay for God's favor, for God's healing, for God's love and salvation, we subconsciously vow to pay it back. We fear something easy because we have been convinced by everything in our lives that something easy isn't worth anything. Naaman's servants have it right, though. Having prepared ourselves to do something hard, shouldn't we be celebrating that we've been asked to do something easy? Having convinced ourselves that a righteous life is the path to God's love, shouldn't we be overjoyed to hear that God's love has been given to us for free. Our resistance to a no-cost salvation shows an ignorance of the most crucial tenet of our faith, that our salvation didn't actually cost nothing. It just cost us 
nothing. It cost our Savior, Jesus Christ, everything. You see, saying no pain, no gain is actually quite true. But the pain was suffered by another, a substitute, a savior, and need not continue. It is finished. This easy thing, this free gift, wasn't easy for Jesus. My God, my God, he said, why have you forsaken me? It cost him everything and is worth more than anything else in the world. It is only free for us, for you, and for me. Our pain, no gain. Jesus' pain, our gain, no charge. Amen.